You're listening to Beyond Damascus, the show where encounter meets mission. Beyond Damascus is aired on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network and across Ohio on St. Gabriel Radio. Hey, friends, and welcome to Beyond Damascus, the show where encounter meets mission. I'm Brad Pierron, and I'll be your host for today's episode. And I'm joined in the studio with my friends and brothers in Christ, Mr. Dan Dimite and Mr. Aaron Richards. Hey, Brad. How are you guys doing? Oh, I'm living the dream. This is the best day. Amen. The best day right now. Um, It's exciting to be with you guys. If you're here with us for the first time, this is the show where encounter meets mission. Ultimately, what we mean by that is that every encounter we have with Jesus should lead us to mission with Jesus. And so we discuss on every episode a question that comes from you, our listeners and our viewers, so that we can like wrestle with what the answer to that might be and then propel us on mission during our mission momentum at the end of the episode. And uh, I'm excited for uh, today and for the question that we have. So we're going to throw it over to you, Jack. What is the question of the week? The question of the week, Brad, is why do people think Catholics worship Mary? Why do people Ooh. think Catholics worship? It's a, it's a, it's a spicy one. Is this, is this a direct response to some of the comments we've had the last few weeks? That's, yeah, true. Yeah, there's been a little back and forth in the comment section, okay. which you should do on this episode. And before I go ahead and throw my two cents in, subscribe if you haven't already <laughs> here to Beyond Damascus, my two well, cents. I'm glad you're going first. I'm going to yeah. do some research while you talk. Okay, great. <laughs> um, yeah, a little off kilter, but no. Um, my two cents. So why do people think that Catholics worship Mary? I would answer it this way, because if we merely define worship as reverence, we do worship Mary. Okay. And, um, and I think that like, like what happens so This often, is not though, helping the I, cause, it's, it's Brad. Helping, it's helping. No, what, what, yeah, they're going to like clip that yeah, out. That is going to be this like, is, no, this is going to go viral. Beyond Damascus Catholics says that do Catholics worship. do, in fact. Well, That's the short here, for today. But here's the thing is like, a lot of the apologetic <laughs> arguments that we have, it just comes down to semantics. A lot of times we're just using words that mean different things. So mm-hmm. oftentimes, like when we ask this question, I would bet that the listener's thinking it's a bad thing that people think that Catholics worship Mary because worship is only unto God alone. But that depends on how we're defining the word worship, right? Like, yes, there is a sense of the word worship that should be for God alone. And, and actually it goes back, like when we look at the Latin, when we look at the history of the church, we've used different words for reverence and for veneration over time. A veneration just re- really being the reverence of a person, right? Like revering a person. And the, the words for reverence and veneration uh, break down fundamentally into two. One is latria and one is dulia. And latria is a certain type of reverence, a certain type of veneration that is high worship. And it's unto God alone. So if you were to say that you latria anything but God, that would be blasphemous because God alone is worthy of that sort of worship. I'm sorry. My immature brain is like, latria? I latria this. Yeah, I latria this. Yeah. Yeah, but no, seriously, it matters because we're going to begin getting into arguments that actually don't matter if we don't like yeah. get words right, right? Like the same about praise. Exactly. Like, yeah, we praise no. Jesus only. Precisely. I praise people all the time. Well, yeah. And if I, I'm, I'm going to get back into the Mary side, but we even do this with like, when we call praise and worship worship. And when we call the mass, the high form of worship, like we're, we're just, we're, we're using it to say unto God, mm-hmm. like glory unto God. And, yeah. and the highest glory unto God is the offering of Jesus Christ to the father that happens at the mass. All of the worship outside of the mass leads to the offering of Jesus to the father. 
We know that, but we're just using words and we mm. get in these arguments all the time. But on the other side of Latria is Dulia. And Dulia is a reverence or a veneration that comes to people who have lived lives that we want to emulate. Look at Paul when he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. That's an invitation to reverence a way of life that he's living, right? A saintly way of life. And, and when we look at the saints who have passed on to glory, that's when dulia is appropriate. It's when, oh my goodness, the life you lived was unto the Lord. And I want to live like that too. Yeah. Man, I honor that. In the same way that I honor you guys for gifts in your life, we honor them for their walks with the Lord. And, and then there's a little distinction where we will say that because of the supreme grace that God gave to Mary, unmerited by her, coming from the, the graces that came from Calvary and the crucifixion of Jesus, the Immaculate Conception, that, that Mary is, is reverenced in a particular way because she was kept free from sin, right? And, and that is not to the level of the divine, but we, we go off of Dulia and say hyperdulia, just meaning that she's, extra she is extra special <laughs> in the way that she accompanied the Lord, in, in the way that she carried the Lord, in the way that she brought the Lord into the world, literally. So I, again, like I, I want to come back to the question, why do people think that Catholics worship Mary? They think that, because they have a particular, um, a particular way of understanding worship where if that is the case, it's blasphemy. But what I would say is, no, let's, let's simply go to those words and see that there is a worship due to God alone because God is he from whom all grace flows, all blessing flows, all glory flows. And he flows because he likes to collaborate those graces through his people in specific ways. That's the story of the saints. That's the story of the saints now yeah. and the saints that have gone on. Yeah. And so they're due a reverence. They're due a, uh, yeah, just like a, a, a veneration that's not equal to that due to the divine, but is due to those who have lived lives that we want to emulate. That would mm. be my two cents. That's a really good answer to that question. Well done, Brad. Yeah, thanks, I'm going to give you a thanks, round of thanks, applause. Thanks, thanks, that thanks, was thanks. impressive. Uh, I... I, I would, to simplify, I think it, it, it just, that's because that's what humans do. Yeah. Like when I love someone, is I show them honor. Though? No, I'm no, just, I'm just like, for, like, yeah, it there. is. It's, it's what humans like. I want, I want you guys to be nice to my mom because she's my mom. And if you care about me, you're going to be mm -hmm. like, you're going to care about my mom. And I think there's, mm -hmm. there's something so like, of, we just honor people yeah. and uh, who deserve mm -hmm. honor. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's also funny. Like, I wonder what you think about this, Aaron, but Jesus even like, he shows us even in his fullness of humanity and fullness of divinity, like he humbles himself to like, he honors those around him. Like I'm thinking about his tears outside of the tomb of Lazarus, mm -hmm. where it's like Lazarus lived a life that was like, there's an honor being showed there, right? Yeah. Like there's, there's, there's a reverence being shown to, to the life of Lazarus. But also, um, I mean, we revere Mary because Jesus did. Yeah. Right. Like, um, yeah. I mean, I'm thinking the wedding feast of Cana, like it's not my hour. And, and Jesus is like, Hey, I, I kind of know how this thing's yeah. supposed to unfold. And, <laughs> and Mary's just like, so faithful to him. So honoring of who he is that she says, do whatever he tells you. And then Jesus being so honoring to Mary says, Oh, the way that, the way that you love me, I honor mm. that and mm. watch what I do now. Yeah. One of my favorite uh, sayings on that topic is that you, you can never love Mary more than Jesus loves Mary. <laughs> yeah. That's a mic drop moment, so, right? Yeah. That's you, true. If you want to be like Jesus. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to throw my two cents oh, okay. actually. Oh, okay. Um, okay. Uh, 
Erica challenged me to flip two at the same time. I'm thinking time. backboard too. If it, <laughs> oh, <laughs> you didn't even. It was. Yeah. That was actually. It was a reason. I gotta practice it. Gotta practice it. Okay. So I think the reason that uh, people question Catholics' devotion to Mary mm -hmm. is because they've got baggage because someone told them to. Mm -hmm. Right, that, that that people haven't actually thought through it, but somebody feels that because I belong to a certain denomination or because I believe some a certain way, that uh, that therefore this other group must be wrong. And uh, one of my one of my favorite uh, ways to answer this specific concern is to go to the teaching of the late great father of the Protestant Reformation himself. Mm -hmm. So Martin Luther speaks in overwhelming love and devotion of the Blessed Virgin. So if anybody ever thinks that, yeah, in order to be Protestant, I have to, uh, I have to reject the Catholic perspective on Our Lady. Uh, let, me, let me quote. <laughs> this is probably the first and last I time this will that. ever happen. I love that you researched that too while I was <laughs> Well, so no, I mean, just, just look it up. If you look up sure. Martin Luther on Mary. And, yeah. uh, and there's, there's tons of sites that'll, mm. that'll come up to this effect. I heard this in a talk a couple, couple weeks ago. Mm. Okay. The, the veneration of Mary is inscribed in the very depths of the human heart. That's Martin Luther. Mary is the highest woman and the noblest gem in Christianity after Christ. She is nobility, wisdom, and holiness personified. You can never honor her enough. Uh, he, he prays he, in a prayer uh, directed to Mary. No woman is like you. You are more than Eve or Sarah, blessed above all nobility, wisdom, and sanctity. Um, you are praised. I'm sorry. Mary praised God for his deeds. How then can we praise her? Mm -hmm. The true honor of Mary is the honor of God, the praise of God's grace. Um, Mary is nothing for the sake of herself, but for the sake of Christ. Mm -hmm. Mary does not wish that we come to her, but through her to God. Isn't that great? Yeah, that's so great. <laughs> well, it just reminds me of uh, I went to um, I went to Italy a, a couple years ago with Nina, and yeah. when we went to Italy, I was standing in the Sistine Chapel, and you're just blown away. You know, you're just when you're when you first kind of look at it, just how beautiful and perfect it looks. And I was laughing when we came out because Mary was actually brought to my mind, and I was thinking to myself, like if Michelangelo was here, yeah. and I was saying how beautiful the Sistine Chapel was, he wouldn't be like, but what about me? You know, like he wouldn't be like, guys, like I'm the artist. Come on, why are you looking at the Sistine Chapel? Look at me. And it's like, no, because <laughs> that, that, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> because Michelangelo poured his love into that So that project. we would see it. So <laughs> we would see it, exactly. And it really did, like it sparked some, I remember yeah. like, because we were about to go to Mary Major, one of the four basilicas there. Um, major basilicas there in um, in Rome, and on our way there, I'm just thinking yeah. through the Sistine Chapel at St. Peter's, like, oh wow, like, yeah, that that yeah. makes so much sense. To me. So let me, let me set up. Question your assumptions, right? Mm -hmm. If you've ever been told that Catholics worship Mary, if you've ever engaged in the comments in a negative way, accusing Catholics of worshiping Mary, ask a Catholic. Yeah, like dig down, try to find the reality. Um, if you heard this from your church, if you heard this from your grandpa. Right, it it just may it may be inaccurate. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's. I think that's uh, ask a cat. Like, I if you ask any cat, even if they're not like a, a a theologian or a like, even if they don't go to mass every Sunday, 
Hey, do you worship Mary? No, they'd be like, no, <laughs> no. Like, yeah. there, there's nothing, there, no Catholic thinks they worship Mary. Like, they, we understand that God is God alone. <laughs> or there's, there's no part of us that is like thinking that. And that's, I, I think that's it's so silly because there's this, it's been this propaganda um, lie that's been disseminated just to, yeah. to steal people from the faith, which yeah. is, is silly. Which I'm almost going to contradict wait, myself wait, before you do that. Two before cents. you yeah. do that, that can be insulting, even though, right? Because it, what it says is, "Hey, even though you think you're not doing it, you are doing it." Yeah. And I just want you to know that all of you are wrong. Yeah. And it's like, wait, but that seems you're right, and all of those that you would talk to <laughs> that say they're believing this thing are wrong. I don't know. Yeah, you're right. My yeah, heart yeah, is directed yeah, towards you worship. Know my towards heart Mary, more right. than I do. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> I will say for the record, I have never gotten one in and then out. <laughs> yes, I have. True. I'm, I'm ultimately. Okay. So um, how to articulate what I'm thinking. So I think first of all, some, uh, most of the time when we ask questions like this, why do people think that uh, Catholics worship Mary? I think a lot of times we get on the defensive right mm-hmm. away. And we think that Protestants are people of bad will as opposed to people of goodwill. So like mm-hmm. our Protestant brothers and sisters, they are people of goodwill. They love Jesus. They, they, they love us as, and they want salvation for man. And so their intentions are good. And so if we look at it from an intention, like that their intentions are good and they're not out to like destroy mm-hmm. us, then why do they think we worship her? It, it may be because sometimes the things we do cause them to think that we worship her. Yeah. Um, so there's orthodoxy and there's orthopraxy, right? Mm-hmm. There's mm-hmm. sound, orthodoxy is sound teaching. And our teaching around Our Lady is sound, right? It's, it's orthodox, it's good. There's orthopraxy. And orthopraxy is sound practice. Uh, and, and sometimes the practice of our Marian devotion may um, not look to others as something that is a veneration, Mm -hmm. but it may look like more like superstition or worship. And you could think of entire people groups and entire cultures that maybe their Marian devotion, which Mm -hmm. our Marian teaching is orthodox and sound, but their Marian devotion takes on something that looks a little bit more like superstition and not uh, veneration. And so our own practices in different cultures, our own lack of catechesis around Marian devotion has led to people questioning where our heart is. And so I think we do give Mary a lot of attention. In orthodoxy, I think, yes, we should give her a lot of attention. If you haven't researched Marian devotion and the power of Marian devotion and the beauty of Marian devotion, you absolutely should because there's so much power that comes from a sound, healthy devotion to Our Lady. But I think sometimes Catholics, they talk about Mary so much and they forget to talk about Jesus. And so, yes, does does Michelangelo get excited when we're talking how beautiful the Sistine Chapel is? Yes, but it would be nice to look to Michelangelo as well and say, hey, you did a amazing job, you know, like, and, and, and so sometimes our Catholic practice can be, a, has been maybe the last 200 years. Uh, uh, um, we haven't been Jesus centered enough. And to, to give evidence of this, the last 50 years, our popes have been really challenging us, John Paul II, especially to become more Christocentric in our catechesis, meaning to make Jesus the center of everything we do in catechesis, because 
from the time of the Reformation on, our catechesis wasn't super Jesus-centered. And so our Protestant brothers and sisters who are people of goodwill are saying, listen, the way you pray sometimes, the way you evangelize sometimes, the way you talk sometimes, it isn't Jesus-centered enough. And perhaps instead of us saying, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, our orthodoxy is right, Maybe you can say maybe our practices have been a little inappropriate and maybe some cultures have gotten it a little wrong and we can improve. And as Catholics, let's not be so like truth, truth, truth all the time and simply say, yeah, like we get it wrong sometimes and our catechesis has been inappropriate, which has led to bad devotion. And we we're trying to get better. Mm-hmm. And as Catholics, let's let's hunger to to give Jesus and make Jesus's name like the source and summit of what, who we are, to talk about Jesus more, to love Jesus more. And when we're evangelizing Protestants or, or when we're starting to evangelize, like make Jesus and his salvation to man the, the, the center part of evangelization. I, I know that there are a lot of evangelization movements that, are, that use miraculous medals or um, Marian uh, devotion as their primary means of evangelization. And I don't think that's necessarily wrong, but if when I'm doing that, that primary use of the miraculous medal doesn't incorporate the name of Jesus or the salvation we receive from Jesus, then I need to check the way I'm evangelizing because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through Jesus. So if people think that we worship Mary, it may be because we didn't use Jesus's name enough. And and let's just do that better to heal this division between Protestants and Catholics. Because Brad, as you pointed out, Aaron, as you pointed out, the division is stupid. So let's improve ourselves, take the plank out of our own eye before we start yelling about the splendor and others. Love it. I do too. Yeah, I also love, I love that you gave the flip side of the coin too, because I do think that there's times when we simply want to put the responsibility on the other person to get their perspective right. Yeah. Instead of to put the responsibility on us to, to do something that might encourage them to think differently, right? Because here's the thing is like, I, I love this concept. Whenever, whenever we're presented a challenge about ourselves, if we always presume that it's just the other person's perspective being off, that's never in our control. But the moment I say, well, actually, there could be something I could do a little better, that's the moment it becomes mine again. Like, I can actually get better from there. I don't have to be hopeless. There's, there's steps that can happen. I remember we were doing an event when we first bought the mat, like this property mm-hmm. and we were opening our building up there and the building wasn't even finished yet. It was still under construction. We had this event and some neighbors came and a, a neighbor came and she was a fallen away Catholic. And, and I forget, I, I was speaking and at, when I was done speaking, she came up to me, she said, I've never heard a, a Catholic preach the gospel. And clearly she had heard Catholics in her Catholic upbringing preach the gospel, but in her perception, she had never heard a Catholic preach salvation through Jesus Christ. And, and so I could say, well, like, well, you're wrong. You weren't paying attention enough at mass. You weren't like clear. Or I could say like, that's sad that your perception is that Catholics don't preach the gospel. Like that is sad. And I'm glad that my Catholic witness was able to heal that perception. Exactly. Yeah. Because again, that's something that, that we can do. What do you think about it? I love, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love you. Aaron. I, I, I was like, I, I'm, I'm trying to I'm like grin from ear to ear. Um, over here. Yeah. I'm trying to get my, my thoughts completely around it because I think we, um, we, we risk more by presuming malintent than good intent. Yeah. yeah. And we do this all of the time when someone challenges our presuppositions, 
they challenge a presupposition we have. And because we're so attached to it, we want to immediately attribute the most dismissible thing to the person, which is, well, they, their lens is totally off. They have malintent. They, but, but dialogue like requires me to hear the perspective they're having towards a, tr- a true thing and the perspective I'm having towards the true thing and then coming into where the true thing actually lies. Right. And, um, and I, I, I really like, again, that the two sides of the coin suggest that, yeah, if, if you're a Protestant listening in today, know that we as Catholics actively teach what was laid out in this episode, that there's a worship due to God alone. And then there's veneration and reverence that we give to those who have lived great lives because we want to live great lives. And what's the hallmark of a great life? The gospel alive in you. That's the hallmark of a great life. And if you're a Catholic listening today, then know that that's what we teach and that's what we should witness to the world is that we believe the gospel fully alive is the epitome of a good life. Amen. Yeah. You know, Amen. Um, great. Let's move um, to our more action-oriented portion of uh, the show, mission momentum. So when you think about the conversation we've had today around yeah. Mary and around, yeah, just all the amazing topics that have come up, what is something that our listeners can take with them this week to put it into motion? I'll jump in first. Yeah. Uh, I was reflecting on the power of testimony. So for my challenge for mission momentum this week, it would be to, instead of assuming or for better or worse, to ask somebody who you perceive as uh, being a faithful Catholic, what their experience of Mary has been. How did Mary touch their life? How did Mary transform their life? And just to adopt that, uh, that, that prayer as you hear testimony, God, that what what you've done in this person's life, would you do it in mine? Yeah. That's awesome. Um, I think a great mission momentum would be to, um, to, to, to do something ecumenical this week. So that me- meaning um, relate with a Protestant brother and sister as a Catholic in a way that brings unity as opposed to division. And so just ask yourself, okay, who are the, the Protestants I know in my everyday life? And what could I do that would, <clears throat> would be um, would, would foster unity as opposed to division. And so maybe that's asking them to read scripture together, uh, or, or just asking them to pray together, but do, do something that fosters unity as opposed to division. Yeah, that's good. I was going to say as, um, mission momentum this week is to have a conversation with someone about the gospel, just a conversation with someone about the gospel. It could be one of your coworkers that, you know, has a Christian background as well. It could be someone that you're sitting next to at mass on Sunday could be your spouse, could be one of your kids, but just ha- have in your disposition, uh, like um, rather have a disposition that is looking to present the gospel and discuss the gospel at least one time this week, because it's in that, that's what we agree on. Let's get back to the, the heart of the matter so that all the other things can begin to fall in their right place. Love that. And that's awesome. 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 Okay. So you've heard it here that, uh, why do people think that Catholics worship Mary? Well, because sometimes we've fallen into actions and things that might suggest that. Sometimes there might be a, a misunderstanding of what Catholics are saying when they say they love Mary. And we should even go to uh, our friends who have had disagreements in the past and see that there was a lot of unity around this particular topic. Again, if you're joining us for the first time, we're so glad to have you. I said this somewhat flippantly at the beginning, but we have a donor that's promised $10 for every subscriber that we get in this season of Beyond Damascus. And that 
that $10 is going to go towards camperships to our flagship program, Catholic Youth Summer Camp, where kids come and they hear the gospel proclaimed and their lives are changed. And so if you want to be a part of the mission here at Damascus, feel free to hit that subscribe button and also to share this episode with someone who also might hit that subscribe button because we want as many kids as possible to encounter the love of Jesus. Go out, carry the mission that we've been talking about here today, and we'll see you next week here on Beyond Damascus. You're listening to Beyond Damascus, the show where encounter meets mission. Beyond Damascus is aired on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network and across Ohio on St. Gabriel Radio. You can listen to the whole version of today's episode on www.ewtn.com forward slash radio forward slash podcasts or check us out on YouTube or your favorite podcast app. We will be right back after a short commercial break. EWTN, helping people grow in their love and understanding of God. EWTN has just increased my faith so much. I am a cradle Catholic, and I thought I knew my faith very well. When uh, Mother Angelica passed away and it was so much in the news, I learned all about EWTN and started listening all the time. And my eyes have been opened to my faith so much. The Pentecost Today podcast is about bringing people closer to God through the work of the Catholic Charismatic Renewal, fueling the fire of renewal. You can hear the Pentecost Today podcast as well as faith-filled podcasts from our friends and affiliates around the world, all in one place, all free at EWTN Podcast Central. Visit EWTN.com slash radio and click Podcast Central today. The most original and exclusive Catholic content is on EWTN Radio. One time somebody said to me, why don't you air these people? And I said, no, because I don't think they're Catholic. He says, by what right do you have to say that? I said, I own the network. (laughs) Mother Angelica Live Classics, every morning, 2 Eastern, on EWTN Radio. Carry the faith wherever you go. Watch your favorite EWTN show, series, or special, or listen to your favorite EWTN radio program at any time, day or night. EWTN On Demand brings all your favorites instantly. Download the EWTN app at EWTNapps.com today. Welcome back to Beyond Damascus, the show where encounter meets mission. Beyond Damascus is aired on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network and across Ohio on St. Gabriel Radio. Hello and welcome to Beyond Damascus, the show where encounter meets mission. My name is Dan Dimite and I'm here with my good friends Brad Piron and Aaron Richards. High five. And today we have a great <laughs> guest, Christine Kane. Welcome to the show. You want to do a high five? We do that on the show. Yes. yes. For those of you who don't know, Chris uh, Kane is a like international preacher of the gospel and she has a beautiful global uh, anti-trafficking ministry yeah. called A21. And uh, we're just, I'm really excited for you to be with us today, uh, Christine. Like, I find that you are one of the strongest, most prophetic voices in the church today, that you just have a powerful way to kind of 
open up the word of God in a way that pierces hearts and sets hearts on fire at the same time. So thank you so much for joining us. I'm so honored. I, this is fun. Yeah. Yeah. So if you're joining us for the first time, we like to just take uh, our audience's questions and then we each give a little bit of uh, our two cents on the answer to that question. And since we have a guest today, I'm going to give Christine my two cents. That's so big, boom. Yeah. So you get to throw in your two cents today. And so Jack, uh, are you ready to go? Can we have our question for the day? I am. The question for today is, how should we relate to people of other denominations? Yes. Ooh. How should we relate to people of other denominations? Uh, spoiler alert, if you didn't know, this is such a great question because uh, Christine is a Christian sister of ours and she's not Catholic. And yet you do so much ministry with all these different people around the globe uh, yeah. on this very topic. So thanks so much for... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to uh, toss my two cents in if that's all right, okay. Aaron, flip it off! Oh, dang it, Aaron, so every time. Okay, nobody saw it from the film, but those were so, those are both. Those so were close. very close. Very close. <laughs> I pride myself on being close. <laughs> All right. This is actually one of my favorite, my favorite questions. And I, I want to lead us to scripture. So in John chapter 17, Jesus, in, in one of the final moments of prayer that he prays before his passion, it's, it's, it's on the night of his arrest, right? He prays in uh, 1721. I pray for these that, I'm sorry, I do not pray for these only, but also for those who believe in me through their word. So he's praying not only for his disciples, but for all who would follow after them, that they may be all one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So the context of John 17 is Jesus is praying for the unity of Christians. And uh, it's funny how we experience that in context of a, of a global church that's grown for 2000 years and has suffered many moments of division but this is said in anticipation right this is this is said in 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 the reconciliation of relationship um there are no denominations there are no titles this is uh, the christians aren't even calling themselves christians yet right and uh I, I love the the connection that jesus makes in this scripture that that it's it's like the love of the father and the son that should unite christians and and john paul ii famously said that the Holy Spirit is the person of love between the Father and the Son. I uh, I think I, I could give a, a list of of the what's to do to foster unity, and I'd rather push us more to the how. Mm -hmm. And and the how happens only through relationship with a person. And I, I know I found in my own life that that in engaging in deeper and more intentional relationship with the Holy Spirit, it's there that I've seen division fall, and it's there that I've seen the Lord. Um, manifest powerfully. I'd even I'd even researched a history. You know, we have this lovely book, Lord Renew Your Wonders, on the on the table here. This is by a guy named Damien Stain. He looks through the history of the renewal and identifies that, yeah, in the in the midst of the the Protestant Reformation in the 1500s, one of the you know accusations that Catholics would actually would actually weigh on on the reformers was that um, there was a there was a, a breakdown of manifestation of the Holy Spirit that was brought about through division. And obviously, we weren't there at the time, but the Catholics said, hey, this, this Reformation is inauthentic because the Holy Spirit's not present. Flash forward to the future. In, in 1900, uh, at, the turn of the, at the turn of the century, Pope uh, Leo XIII, he prayed for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the church. And where did the Holy Spirit pour himself out? It was actually on the Protestants in, in uh, Topeka, Kansas, I think. Mm -hmm. it, was the, it, was the, it was the Bethel Bible College. That was, this was the, the birthplace of Pentecostalism. And, and what we've seen today, I think that the, the unity that we see in the church today and across denominations is because of our willingness to humble ourselves and to engage in relationship with the Holy Spirit first, that, that it's, it's through that unifying grace of the Holy Spirit that the Lord actually desires to bring unity to the church.
Well, there's my two cents. That. <laughs> no, that was a long two cents. I did. I love I love this topic. Uh, it's, it's completely transformed my life and maybe I'll share that later in the show, but, uh, I think it's, yeah, it's when, it's when we're willing to step into humility and engage in relationship deeply with the person of the Holy spirit that we find that unity was his language from the beginning. Right. Well, it's also, I mean, the Holy spirit as a person is wanting to form us into Jesus. Like the Holy spirit's primary go in our lives is to make us more like the one that we worship. And if he's making us more like Jesus, he's making us more whole. Right. And and that's, that's both at like the level of me, but also at the level of we here at this table, like the Holy spirit is, is a unifying person, right? Our God is a unifying God. And so, I, I mean, even just look very basically, Jesus is fully God and fully man. The Holy spirit, like <laughs> is bringing together God and man. Right. And, and if we're not all together, how can we have like, how can we have the connection with God we were supposed to if we have brothers and sisters that aren't connected to us? Like we were made to be one so that we could come before God, who's also one. I think it's interesting because if you think, and I've never really thought about this until you said it, Aaron, but if the areas where you see the most collaboration amongst denominations are in the spirit-filled arenas, if you will. Those who are alive in the Holy Spirit <laughs> often, uh, the Holy Spirit is uniting us with our, our brothers and sisters across denominations. It, just a quick note on that. It, it, it's regardless of mode of expression, too. So when I, my own experience of the Holy Spirit, you know, happened through sort of what you might expect through a charismatic, um, you know, through the charismatic lens. But you see unity in Christianity even through liturgical expressions or high liturgical expressions that are that are truly spirit centered. So a lot of times we'll talk here on the show about sort of comparing and contrasting a more traditional versus a more contemporary charismatic perspective. And I think the Holy Spirit, the person transcends both, right? And can be powerfully present in both. And when you see the Holy Spirit present in both, you see, you see unification. Hmm. I love that. I'm actually thinking of my own personal experience. When I was at school, um, so now we're talking in the 1980s, I think most people like watching this were not even born then. So um, <laughs> this is back when the dinosaurs still Actually, none of us were born okay. in the 1980s. No, no, you weren't? Well, in the 80s, but 80s. not in yeah. Okay, so you're saying like we were just born. But um, so it was, I was, uh, I'm Greek, so I grew up yeah. in a Greek Orthodox church and I went to school and in our schools, you were only allowed to go there in Australia. There was a compulsory religious education. So you could, you had to go to Protestant or Catholic. And because I was Greek Orthodox, um, I had to go to Catholic, which was mm -hmm. awesome. And so it was um, through, uh, there was a, a woman and then there was also a, a school teacher who was Catholic. And it was through them that I was introduced to the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The charismatic uh, Catholic renewal was happening through Australia in the 1980s before you were born. And um, the Lord really touched my life in such a, a profound way, which I say all that to go, um, it doesn't seem that the Holy Spirit cares as much about denomination. He was willing mm. to come through a Catholic to a Greek Orthodox yeah. and say, you know what, I might, yep. I might just mm. touch you and mm. um, that unity. And I see that where I travel and minister all over the world, uh, that it is truly the Holy Spirit. It's not like he stands at the door and says, what denomination are you? And I'm going to touch you only if you're from a particular denomination. So I think the unity that we see around the world um, and just, you know, it is the beauty. I was then in my bedroom and I'd had that encounter. With, I'd had that experience with some of my Catholic school teachers. And I went to my um, bedroom and I knelt on the floor. And so I was 18 years old. You know, I'm just a kid at school before you were born. And so I was then, um, and I had this powerful encounter that to this day, so that was now almost 40 years ago, 39 years ago. No. 
And so in Sydney, Australia, and I'm, I'm mm. here in the epicenter of the universe in Ohio somewhere. <laughs> I don't exactly know where I am. It's Everyone comes to Cinnabur. Did you know that Ohio is the heart of it all? <laughs> People told me that, you know, I mean, I've, I've done a lot of ministry, London, Paris, Munich, but they mm -hmm. said you have not. Seen Cinnabur, Ohio yet. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'll tell you what, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And Good the population damn. of Bethlehem is larger than the population <laughs> of Cinnabur. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Brad, you got two cents? Yeah, I do. Come on, let's uh, see what you I'm got. I'm not going to put them in there. I'm just going to stand up. And then, oh, oh, I still missed one. Um, I took, with four microphones. No, I'm just I, – I just missed, I think. Um, I've been thinking about this since you started talking, Aaron. I, I don't know if I have the, the best answer practically, but I want to try to give a practical response and say that I think that in my life where I have found the breakdown of division is in dialogue. Because division meaning two visions, two different ways of seeing things, dialogue meaning two logics, two concepts, two thoughts coming together. And I think I, I think about it even in the context of marriage, right? Like whenever my wife and I have two different visions of something, it's dialogue that breaks that down and sees how are you seeing? How am I seeing? Why are we seeing it like that? And then what might we actually be seeing? And I, And without that, I think that we do fall into this individual lens. Like we were made not for just our own lens, but a lens of a church that, that God never made <laughs> – the Christian people designed to be individuals. He made us designed to be one, to be together, to be the body of Christ on earth, to, to manifest him in all of the ways that he desires to reveal himself to the world. And so I think whenever I am considering my own life with being from Southern Ohio, the beginning of the Bible belt, like there weren't a lot of Catholics in the area I grew up in. Almost everyone was Protestant. I remember growing up thinking that that was actually like two like <laughs> different almost like entirely different faiths, not like strands of the same belief. Like I remember having conversations with my Protestant friends that would be like, but you're Catholic, right? So you're not Christian. I'm like, no, that's not, no, I, I'm pretty sure you're wrong, but I don't know how to have this conversation. I didn't, I wasn't prepared to have a dialogue. I didn't um, yet know fully what I was even believing. So when I came, I didn't come with the thoughts that I had. So I think there's, there's a two um, pronged idea I have here, which is first come to understand who you believe God to be, have a relationship with him. And then find others who have relationship with him and then have a conversation because what that'll do is it'll reveal new parts of him to you and new parts of him to them. And, um, in my experience, like I, with Catholics were baptized as babies oftentimes. Right. And I say the two most important days in the Catholics lives, the day they're baptized and the day they find out why it just took me 20 years to find out why in my own circumstance. But like, um, that date from that date forward, just going back and having Bible study with my friends from high school that are pastoring Protestant churches down that way. They were amazed that I knew scripture. They were, they were amazed that, and, and all of a sudden they were like, wait, but what do you think about that particular passage? And why do you think it that way? And do you want to come actually preach at one of our services? We would love to have you come, come speak and just say exactly what you just did. That's all. It's like, we would love that to be a message. So I think that when we come to understand what we believe and we surround ourselves by other believers and we begin having conversations about what they think and uh, have enough, well, I guess that's an additional two cents, but having enough trust in our, uh, and confidence in our own identity to come there and be able to learn, you know, like not thinking that I have to go there and win, but go there and learn. A disciple means learner. I want to be a lifelong disciple, which means I want to be a lifelong learner. I think that's probably the most appropriate way to approach any conversation between denominations. That's pretty good. I really, uh, if, if we marry your two thoughts, I think it's, that's what I've seen personally when things go like, so it's, um, when I'm able to enter into spirit filled prayer with my Christian brothers and sisters, um, that's what opens dialogue, right? Mm -hmm. It's the, that mm -hmm. we we're, we're together. We're united in one in the spirit. We're united in the spirit. And we, we discover that there's, there's unity. This is real. Yeah. There's mm -hmm. actual real unity here. Mm -hmm. It's not make believe. And honestly, sometimes in, in prayer, I feel more union with, 
with Protestant brothers and sisters because there's just like man like there's just something there and then that's what opens up the dialogue mm -hmm, that it doesn't mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i think sometimes we fail when we start with like let's let's get in a conversation and we almost it almost becomes a debate as right. opposed to dialogue and uh and so i i have found prayer unlocks really mm -hmm. healthy interdenominational dialogue yeah. that like hey we're brothers and sisters when brothers and sisters have disagreements they can they can talk to each other because they know that that disagreement's rooted in love and and when they have their identity in the right place they're unoffendable in the conversation mm -hmm. which allows you to build trust over time it's like i tell me where it is that you think we're we're in a different place here because i'd love to hear because i still want to be in a relationship with you i want to love you i don't love you because you're like me there's parts of me i don't even know i'm learning how to love parts of me and i love parts of you that are different than yeah. me not just the ones that are the same as me mm -hmm. and i think that yeah i completely agree and i think you discover that a lot of it is just semantics to be honest um and I, like so once you get up close and personal and you talk you just go okay we're actually talking about the same thing we just talk about that same thing differently but it's actually mm -hmm. more often than not in many areas so and um very very similar and some of the other things that maybe um you know we either do or don't agree on it, they're much more secondary the primary thing that has brought us to unity is jesus christ crucified buried resurrected coming back again um the the fullness of a, a triune god the father son and holy spirit and that there's no other name by which man can be saved but jesus We're like we all agree Awesome! Awesome! And Let's go spread that news. Yeah, I don't even agree with myself on half the other stuff. Yeah. I don't even agree with half the Protestants <laughs> on a whole lot of other stuff. So why would I agree on secondary issues? You know, like yeah. that's what I. And it's. I think the sad thing is that um, when we've allowed those to polarize us, when you go, hang on a minute, the actual gospel. Christ crucified, buried, resurrected, coming back again. The only way to salvation. We're all on the same page, and we all. Who knows? We're all going to get to heaven and find out we're all wrong about something somewhere along the way. That's sort of secondary. So I actually think yeah. that's um that's what helps healthy dialogue. I, I love. It, we we had a, a show a couple of weeks ago where we were talking about just the 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 uh, the impact of in that case sin in the world, right? And I think sometimes we forget about the impact of the reality that we make a declaration of faith like that. Right. That you you can't uh, overstate the fact that yeah we we come into agreement based on our agreement around the fundamental mystery of all of everything, right? The, the Trinity, the triune God, and, and, and the person of Jesus himself, right? That you could spend a lifetime just breaking that open. And we tend to just gloss over that little thing so that we can focus on something much more minute. Right. Uh, but man, yeah, there's, there's so much power there. Yeah, well, I don't, I don't wanna, like as a Christian people, I don't wanna form an identity out of condemning an out-group. I, I, want, I, wanna, I wanna form an identity about loving an in-group. They're like, the gospel is come and see and follow me. I mean, that's, that's, that's the proclamation of, of Jesus. He's like, come and see, like, come and see. And I, I want to go out and tell everyone, come and see, come and see what I think. Come and come and see how we worship and let's have a conversation about it. Let, can I come and see how you worship? Can, I would love to have a conversation about it. Like let's, let's create in groups. Like we can get, man, this drives me crazy in the Christian world is we can get so obsessed with condemning out groups or people that are different instead of creating a loving in group where it's like, no, come as you are. And then let's, let's figure it out. Jesus loves you. He has a plan for your life. The Holy Spirit wants to turn you into Christ. Why? Because you'll live the most fulfilling life you could ever imagine. You're going to live a life of adventure, a life that's not certain in the one sense, but absolutely certain in another sense. And like, I think when we can begin again, looking at the church as family, and it's something we want everyone to be a part of instead of, well, I want to create my tribe over here so that at the end of the day, I can mark myself as right. I think if we can avoid that, we would be in a much better place. I yeah, do but think Brad, so. we are right. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> all right, Chris, do you want to throw your two cents in? Are you ready? 
Yes, I'm, I'm new to this game. Yeah, but you're yeah. going to make them both, and you're going to embarrass <laughs> so ourselves. You don't have to throw this. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm supposed to say something about this. Look, I, yeah, I'm now learning you everybody. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, what was the question, Jack? What was the question? Uh, yeah, reiterate it to us. <laughs> oh, he wasn't ready. <laughs> Jack and his new... Ba- Jack's not used to the second time. I'm not. I'm only a one-shot pony. Come on, Jack. <laughs> okay, Dan Damite. How should we relate to other people, people of other denominations? Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I just... How should we relate to people of other denominations is how we should relate to everybody kindly. <laughs> that would be the start uh, nicely. I mean, and even and especially if you feel that you're you're actually right, then then you should have more confidence and grace to show the fruit of the Holy Spirit. So mm. I would say, you know, love, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Um, there are, of course, there are things that are important. Um, and, you know, you see even in, in, in the book of Acts, you see, people and the apostles would come alongside and say, okay, we're going to work gently and kind of bring, I don't know anybody that's changed their mind on anything because somebody has been yelling at them or pointing a finger or judging them. Um, my children, that's not a great way to parent my children. That's, it doesn't work in my marriage. You know, no matter how much I try to change my husband, it doesn't, it doesn't work. So I think that if we remember that Jesus said, by this will all men know we are his disciples, by the love we have one for another. That means, I'm not saying certain things are not important and need to be addressed, absolutely, but it is never okay to not address them in love. And Mm. we don't need to, um, you know, sometimes in the name of love we throw out truth and that doesn't work. You don't throw out truth in the name of love, but you also um, make sure that you don't throw out love in the name of truth. So you just go Mm. to extremes and so then you have people yelling at each other and to me is what does that mean for our witness to an unchurched world? Like, so people that are not followers of Jesus, they have no idea of the nuances of, mm-hmm. you know, the canon and, and uh, many, and, and nor does it matter in light of Christ crucified, buried, resurrected, coming back, I keep coming back to that. But there are discussions that of course we need to have, but never anywhere in scripture would it say it is okay to have them with anything but a spirit of love or grace or compassion or kindness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Gosh, I love that. That was a mic drop as well. I think that even like, how do you relate to people of other denominations? Honestly, for, for, for Catholics, I, I think sometimes it's just simply saying, go relate to people of other denominations. There, there is no relationship. And so if there is no relationship, there's no love. And if there's no love, then there's no, there's no one baptism. <laughs> like, exactly. like there's no family. Yeah. And so it's that need to, just build relationship, have, have a really healthy human relationship with the person. I love that. Yeah. Also, I think we have to appreciate the 90% that we have in common to have the conversation about the 10% we don't. And so the moment you're not appreciating the fact that we are all on this amazing journey with the Lord, then, then you, you haven't really brought yourself to earn the right to have that conversation on the 10%. And because like you were saying, Christine, I think it's, those things matter. And, and of course they do because truth matters and love matters because in the group, these three and the greatest of these is love. That's what, that's what will remain. And so I think once we can begin appreciating and really loving the things we have in common, that's when real dialogue around the things that we don't happen. I found too, with the things in common, like your work with a 21 and stopping human trafficking in the modern world. It's like when, when you're doing that kind of work with other Christians, it's just like, oh yeah. Like we're, I think when we're in the mission field together, we're so united. It's when we're in the classroom that we're divided. And so, I, I mean, we, we fit in the mission field best as Christians. That's where we belong. And that's, I feel like that, that we fit in the prayer room. That's where we relate in the mission field. That's where we relate really yes, well. Very much so. That's a good word, Dan. I'm, 
I'm, I'm ready for All right, mission. I'm going to throw a question, though. I do, I do want to do the mission momentum, but I do have a question, Christine. We, you have a different perspective than the three of us. We're, we're American Catholics, and you've been a, like kind of more of a global Christian. And what do you— It's a really fancy title. Yeah. What do you, what do you see? Like, I mean, it's my own denomination. <laughs> because, yeah. Well, no, because we—I've often—like, I interpret things through the lens of an American Catholic. Sometimes it's even hard even from a universal Catholic, right? Because I'm right. not—I just see it from my American worldview. What do you—do you see a lot of divisions and factions globally amongst the Christians? Or do you see, like, more unity happening? Yeah, I think um, the division um, and sort of a lot of the— uh, just kind of the schism that you see in America. In some other areas of the world, and I'll use this language, beggars can't be choosers. There's not enough Christians for us to really fight. Now, of course, you're always going to have the ones, but within the Protestant world, they're all fighting within each other. I'm sure there are factions within the Catholic world. I mean, I don't know, but oh, yeah. there, um, I yeah. guarantee there probably is because wherever there are people, there are factions. <laughs> but by and large, when I'm ministering in uh, Southeast Asia or Europe um, or in Africa, or, you know, I'm thinking specifically as I'm talking to you about two recent trips to Asia and Europe. In the nations I was in, there was not, we were like, can you say Jesus? We're on the same side. You know, like, it's like, do you have, it's not, it, the luxury of division, isolation, mm. protection is when you actually are a more dominant force. But when you are a minority and you are, and again, this get, get, comes back to your mission question. When you are about the father's business, mm -hmm. and I love that when Jesus said to his mother, "Look, listen, didn't you know I have to be about the father's business?" He knew that at twelve. I wish we would get that yeah, revelation at twelve. Like, yeah, <laughs> that if we're about the father's business, you really don't have that much time to get caught up in everyone else's business or to be divided about business because you're about the father's business to reconcile people mm -hmm. to him and to each other. And so I find that everyone's like, "I'm so grateful you're a Jesus follower." No one's really asking. You know, I do so much in Italy and we work Protestant and Catholics together in so many different areas. I do so much in um, Greece and Bulgaria and Orthodox and, you know, our Protestants are working together. And, and no one actually even leads with I'm Protestant or I'm Orthodox. It's just I'm a Jesus follower. So, so, so mm. in some cases, yeah. we don't even know. We might be sitting at dinner and go, oh, I had no idea. And I go, oh, you know, I was in a Greek Orthodox church for 18 years. I married. My husband is number 14 of 15. You guys can guess what? His parents. <laughs> okay, you know, like, yeah, so, um, and I thank God for it. And so we work with... Um, and again, Australian Catholicism, it's a little bit different to what it is over here. When I'm in Italy, it's a little bit different to here. But the, when I was in Qatar um, working with Christians out of India and there were they were Catholics and there were Protestants and there was like like just you were just grateful there was anyone like seriously and none of us we we were all um respected one another's differences and it was so secondary it's fine like mm -hmm. fine that's not going to stop us from doing what the Lord's called us to do um when I was in Pakistan I'm just kind of thinking it's like I could give you nations we get so caught up here in a place yep. where we have so much privilege so much power so we can afford the luxury of like you stay on your side of the street I'll stay on my side of the street um and uh but I think as America continues to become increasingly secularized um the rise of the nuns and I would think that would be in Protestant and Catholic circles mm -hmm. we're going to be looking around and going do you love Jesus do you follow Jesus uh let's work together yep. about the father's business so I think in those nations where secularization uh, is just 10, 20 years ahead, like Australia, like Europe, then where America is, America's coming into that. So uh, desperation is a gift because it's going to bring us all to our knees and realize the main thing is the main thing. Mm. Amen. Yeah. Amen. All right, guys, let's transition to our mission momentum. We're going to share one way that we can carry this message into our missionary life this week. Who wants to start? Mm. I'd love to start. So uh, humble yourself. That's, that's my, uh, that's my, my call. When I, I was in college, I was working in a, as a youth minister in a Catholic parish, 
And a lot of my experience of Catholicism early in my in my high school and college days was really built around apologetics and truth seeking, which was great. And I, I found at a certain point that it left me very empty and that I came to a place of realizing that I had I didn't have the fire and the drive to actually continue to be inspired for mission. And a major transition happened in my life. And actually, Christine, you, you played a big part in this. Uh, I was introduced through a friend to the Passion Conferences. Right. And as a, as a Catholic high school youth minister, started swallowing my pride and listening to the teachings of Lou Giglio and of Christine and of the other you know, individuals who were engaged in passion. And I found that although we didn't agree on everything theologically or, or doctrinally, right, that wasn't what it was about. It was about me actually adopting a place of humility in order to be formed so that I might be stretched and have a greater capacity for love. So my invitation would be if, uh, if you find yourself authentically struggling because relationship is difficult uh, and you can do it in either in the, in the quiet of your own room or you can get in your car and drive to the church down the street to take a deep breath, allow yourself to be humbled and engage in something intentionally that might make you uncomfortable. So uh, if, if you're the more traditional uh, Catholic bent, that's great. You know, engage intentionally mm -hmm. in, in a time of charismatic worship and prayer. Um, engage intentionally in uh, the teaching or, or, or preaching of a, of a non-denominational or, or a Protestant pastor. Um, and I, I would say the same thing goes on the other side. If, if you might be inclined toward being comfortable in your own little bubble of contemporary expression, maybe try to engage more deeply in someone who might, you know, have a, a, a high liturgical expression. Mm -hmm. uh, you'd be amazed what can happen if you, if you humble yourself and take a step away from pride. It's good. Yeah, I have one. Um, it, it has similar elements, but I, I would encourage you to engage with someone, you know, you disagree with, but in something you both share. So like, if there's someone at your workplace and you know that you guys have different political opinions or something like that, go watch a football game together because you go, you both love it and talk about that there and learn to love and appreciate the fact that they love and appreciate something you do. And then that'll open the opportunity for that dialogue. Maybe it's someone in your family. Think about someone even in your own church and and go outside of yourself, find them. And in knowing that you guys disagree, find something you share and engage in it with them this week. Yeah, I love it. Just off the back of that, I just think of my friendship with Sister Miriam. Mm -hmm. And um, the, the, I think this probably speaks to both of your points. I was speaking down in Corpus Christi and her community was uh, mm -hmm. there. And I, I remember speaking, I was in a non-denominational church and suddenly I'm, I'm looking and there's, there's two nuns. And so I know you find this hard to believe, but it did stick out in the room. It was like, it really caught my eye and I was like so fired up. And then at the end of the night they came up and we just clicked. I mean, I'm talking like we just clicked right there and became, this is now several, many years ago. And um, we just like FaceTimed her yeah, before yeah. we started this podcast. And um, so here we were and we, with intentionality, when I was down in that part of Texas or she was in my part of California, we'd meet up for a coffee, we text frequently and um, we truly pray for each other. So she would mm. be one of my go-to people if I am coming into something and I really <clears throat> need prayer and I really need someone to stand in the gap for me. She is one of the first people that I think of. So I think that has a lot of power. Yeah. Love it. Let's be gone. Guys, thank you so much for listening to Beyond Damascus, the show where encounter meets mission. Christine, we're really honored to have you as a friend mm -hmm. and as a guest on our show and Love speaking it. tonight at the Empower Conference. Uh, we're really blessed to buy your friendship. Thank you. Um, awesome. Hey, uh, remember, if this episode blesses you, please share it with a friend. Um, or if you think a friend 
could use this message, share that with that friend as well. Um, and we will see you next week on Beyond Damascus, where mission, mission makes, makes sense. sense. Yeah, but clean, you'll learn strong. It, you'll learn mission time. makes sense. <laughs> friends, thanks for listening to Beyond Damascus, the show where encounter meets mission. You can listen to the whole version of today's show by searching for Beyond Damascus on YouTube or your favorite podcast app.